Revolution. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try and I try. Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, advertising and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp, and I'm Giles Edwards, co-founder and MD. Today, I've caught Ryan Woolman, an internationally acclaimed copywriter, marketing commentator and author who is physically incapable of walking past a chihuahua without patting it. Ryan is creative director and head of copy at Wellmark, a Melbourne-based creative agency specialising in healthcare. He's written for numerous industry publications, including Marketing Week, The Australian Financial Review and The Economic Times, And is also a co-author of the best-selling marketing book, Eat Your Greens. But he has more recently penned his own best-selling masterpiece. The satirical scalpel that is Delusions of Brandia. A no-holds-barred commentary on modern marketing, advertising and business. Praise for the book has been plentiful from a plethora of industry giants, including Dave Trott, who said, I love this book. Anything I spend my time on, I either have to learn something or be entertained. With this book, I get both. Welcome to the show, mate. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. How are you going? Yeah, good. You? Very well, thank you. Well, no, actually, that's probably an exaggeration. <laughs> In the middle of a pandemic when I'm, you know, stuck at home. But yeah, you know, I'm okay, all things considered. Good, mate. Right, seven quick-fire questions, Ryan. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Without doubt. Facebook or Twitter? Twitter. Dave Trot or Lee Trot? Ooh, that's a hard one. I don't want to offend anyone here. No, go both. They're both awesome. Exactly. Perth or Melbourne? Melbourne for sure. Derek or Clive? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Clive. Have to say Clive. Last two. The People's Front of Judea or the Judean People's Front? Fucking <laughs> Judean People's Front. People's Front of Judea, mate. And lastly, Jaguar's earlobes or wolf nipple chips? Jeez, <laughs> uh, uh, it's tough. <laughs> Partial to both. Wolf nipple chips, I reckon. It's got to be, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, so mate, normally we, we start by asking about early days and, and early jobs, but given that we have collectively just won a Drum Roses Award for Delusions of Brandia, I wanted to start by saying, well done, mate. We haven't spoken about that yet. Thank you very much. I think the, I think the uh, congratulations are definitely deserving, um, or you're more deserving of it than I am because it was for <laughs> design. But, but yeah, it was, uh, I was very happy with it and I'm sure you guys were too. Yeah, yeah, totally stoked, totally stoked. No, it was awesome news. Uh, so, so when did you find out, though? Because cause I think when it was announced, it must have been in the middle of the night where you were, so I had this kind of ticking, uh, waiting for you to, to pop your head up on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the first I saw it was your tweet. <laughs> so I just it was just a notification on Twitter because I hadn't read that email of yours either. So, yeah, it was a nice surprise. I'd, I'd completely forgotten when it was going to be announced or anything. So, 
Uh, so it's good. I did too. I did too. So it's lucky that I, we had an email from from the drum. So let's let's talk about the book then. So, in honour of uh, Simon Sinek, <laughs> let's uh, let's start with why. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's horrible to say that. Oh, dear me. Uh, why? Well, um, <laughs> I certainly didn't start with why <laughs> when no, I wrote okay. it because uh, I think I've, I've mentioned this before on a couple of podcasts, but essentially, as you know, um, it was really a collection of stuff that I put together over the past few years. So um, I certainly hadn't set out to write a book um, at that stage. Um, and And really, I guess the why came in um whatever it was when we sort of started talking about it probably what about a year ago a bit more than a year ago yeah uh and and it was essentially because I, I you know <laughs> i just realized that a lot of other people had managed to put books together um you know some of which weren't you know weren't at all that traditional you know the, the sort of traditional book that you would expect if you, if you sit down and write write something from start to finish um and that and that you could sort of have this miscellany of stuff um that you put together and so so that's when I realised that I had quite a lot of stuff there, um, which I sent to you in very haphazard fashion. <laughs> so yeah, so that's about as far as the why went, I think. Yeah, yeah, and 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 um, it must feel good to be to be the author. I, I know you were one of many awesome contributors to Eat Your Greens, so it's so it's not in many ways it's not a first, but then equally it, it kind of is to have your own book. Yeah, yeah, no, it's different. It's definitely different. Um, I mean, it was a it was a huge honour to be part of Eat Your Greens. Um, you know, as you say, there were so many kind of luminaries um, that contributed to the books. So I was, you know, it's, it really was an honour to be involved. Um, but by the same token, you know, it, it was a, obviously a very different book from <laughs> from Delusions of Grandeur, and you know, it was it's pretty heavy in parts, and and there's a lot of theoretical stuff in there, and <laughs> and as you well know, Delusions of Grandeur doesn't have that. Um, so yeah, it was nice to be able to kind of, you know, decide, um, the general tone of the book and, and just kind of decide what was going to go in there by myself without sort of having any, anyone else making the decisions for me. So yeah, it was good. Yeah. And have you been pleased by the response to the book? Yeah. Stoked. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've, you and I have discussed this, but you know, I think both of us were probably pretty overwhelmed by some of the initial reviews that we got um from people you know that we that we uh, gave the previews to and and yeah no it's really been really pleasing particularly given the caliber caliber of some of those people and um and yeah and i you know i sort of didn't know whether we would sell even kind of a couple of hundred yeah um and the fact that we've now sold whatever it is kind of i don't know probably close to 1500 i'd say um has been fantastic yeah yeah, the mark of success for me is when you when you start writing delusions of grandeur into Amazon search, it, it no longer tries to correct it to grandeur. <laughs> We've made it. We've made it. Yeah, yeah, that was a bit of a problem. People were actually complaining about that. I think when it first came out, they're like, they were. "Fucking autocorrect, what <laughs> I know. I think they're pointing fingers unfairly at us there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sort out your fucking SEO. Anyway, <laughs> yes, yes, that's a win. So the book, the book is full of satire and it's full of wit and it's full of poking fun at the industry. But um, I've heard you say this before and, and, and equally I've, when I've had an opportunity to talk about the book, I've said the same thing. It's, it's, it's nice to clarify that the book is actually both positive in so many ways, but also it's, it celebrates marketing as well. It, it's, it's kind of, I think unfairly, a few people have said it's, it's a bit cynical. 
And of course, it's typical <laughs> in places, but what's your take on that? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's that unfair. Um, it's certainly cynical in part. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, I'd be, I, you know, I would be absolutely, uh, think I'd be advertising it falsely if I suggested otherwise. Um, but, yes, I think, look, I do think that it's not just that, and, and a few people have commented to, to that effect as well. I think it does, tr- I, I have tried at least in parts to celebrate uh, good marketing, um, you know, and the, and the important principles of marketing um, where I can, and also kind of there are some more, um, I guess, positive pieces in there. Some of the longer form pieces are a bit more positive about um, the things that, that I think are, are good in the marketing and advertising world. Um, so, so yeah, I hope that, that it's kind of a, a reasonable balance that, that we struck with it and that, you know, it's not kind of completely um, depressing <laughs> as, a, as a commentary on the industry. Exactly that. But I don't know if it's because of the way I have responded to people like you and other people I admire in the industry who are calling out a lot of the nonsense within I find that positive in itself. So maybe that's kind of indirectly I find it very positive to find someone else who says, yeah, that's a load of bollocks. Yeah, and that's that's something that I have actually pointed out to people in the past is that being relentlessly positive can can itself be, you know, can, can be an issue. And, and if, if you're pointing out something that is inherently wrong or factually wrong or not based on evidence, then... I, I don't think that that is a negative thing to do. I think that that is um, trying to move the industry forward. So so that would be my take on it, yeah. I spoke to a lady yesterday, Paulina, for Isolated Talks, and she was talking about a networking-type event that she's going to start or is in the process of starting. And it's exactly that. It's not being relentlessly positive all the time. It's called the Fuck Up Meetup. And the only, <laughs> the, the only things you're allowed to talk about and share with other people there in a networking capacity is just major fuck-ups you've made in your career. Uh-huh. It just sounded I like it already. Yeah, yeah, same as. That sounds great, yeah. Because, I mean, you know, there, there is a real tendency, I think. Um, you know, you just have to look at some of the, the advertising press, for example, um, and it's just constant <laughs> effusive praise for, you know, whatever it is and, and often kind of thinly disguised PR for agencies and so on. And, it, you know, that, that can be very detrimental to the industry as a, as a whole. Yeah, very much so. Have you got a favourite spread in the book? Uh, yes. I think my favourite is the LinkedIn piss take. Okay. <laughs> um, the, 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 you know, like the breakfast routine. Yeah, I think that's probably my favourite. Although from a design perspective, uh, probably the brand love, brand bollocks and <laughs> dichotomy. That's a popular one, isn't it? Yeah. What's your favourite? Oh, I think you know the answer to that. It's the thought leader. It's just so <laughs> I simple. didn't know the answer, actually. It's a leading question. Yeah, but it's funny though because it's you know it's probably the shortest in terms of I'm trying to I'm just finding it now I'm flipping through the book now it's probably the simplest page in the whole book but I think that's where its power lies. Well, spoken like a spoken like a true designer. Yeah, what a wanker! Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's uh, there's oh, there's so much to enjoy, mate. I mean, it was uh, it was an absolute pleasure for us to, to to work on this together and that's something i don't think i've necessarily had an opportunity to to really sort of wax lyrical about but to, to be given stuff like that as opposed to a standard design job where you might just be getting some stuff you have to make sense of it's it's yeah it was a real it was a, it was a really good process i mean it was a long process and i think mm. i think neither you or i have claimed it was perfect in terms of processes funnily enough rob schwartz asked me about the uh the working model of working remotely together 
as if as if, <laughs> as if we'd found this most like really efficient and effective way of working but price, when, <laughs> when you're working across time zones i don't care what tech you've got in place it's it's tricky and and equally when it's a more yeah. kind of internal job it's never going to get the priority it probably deserved so no um i don't think it was slick but i think the outcome is is fucking brilliant and we're obviously <laughs> all over the moon with it but the process wasn't necessarily slick at all times we had our moments <laughs> Yeah, and look, I, I mean, first of all, I thank you very much for the for the kind words, uh, and the pleasure was absolutely reciprocated because I think, yeah, yeah, as I said to you at the time, I was absolutely blown away by the quality of your initial concepts and and then kind of you know the way that the design was flowed through the book and so on. So it really, well, you know, I really feel that it was an incredibly complementary process of putting you know putting the words and the, and the design together. And, and for the process, yeah, I think I said something similar to uh, to Shahid Pierre on a podcast that I did a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he said, look, isn't, isn't it amazing that you managed to kind of get this happening remotely well before, you know, this was happening and, you know, people were, people were getting used to it and so on. I said, well, yeah, it wasn't, <laughs> as you say, it wasn't perfect. I was kind of sending over JPEGs and all sorts of stuff and then, you know, as you say, Obviously, client work had to had to take priority and so on. But you know, I think overall it was it was pretty smooth. Um, there weren't weren't too many hiccups in terms of you know revisions and that kind of stuff. So yeah, pioneers, mate. Really... We're pioneers. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah. And and people can buy merchandise now. Funny enough, we've had a, we had a couple of orders in the last few days of posters. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was wondering whether anyone had bought those. So yeah, yeah, out of the no, blue, out of the blue. So we need to we need to work harder on that because I think the demand for for delusions of brandier merch is is there. I think mugs would be good. Yeah. I, I, for some reason, I like the idea of a mug. Yeah. Cool. We'll we'll prioritise mugs. <laughs> Thanks. And there's rumours of a sequel. Can we share anything about that? Yeah, I think we can. Um, I guess rumours is about about kind of <laughs> as far as it's gone at this stage. Um, however, no, having said that, I have uh, had a bit of a look through, you know, some other material that I've that I've done and had a bit of a think about how it might hang together and stuff like that. So yes, I think it's very realistic. Um, it's just a question of when you guys want to start working on it, <laughs> which, uh, which might not be till next year, I'm guessing. Yeah, no, no, we're we're ready. You know where we are. <laughs> well, let's try and get back to our usual format then, and talk about how it started. So, you you obviously go by the moniker Doctor Draper, and I think few people, despite the fact I've heard you clarify this, I think there are probably a majority of people still aren't aware that your roots are in medicine. Can you tell us about your first ever job? My first proper job, obviously, was well. No, actually, I'd say if if we're really talking close to a proper job, then uh, I took blood. I was a phlebotomist for a few years when I was at med school. Um, that wasn't my first ever job, but but it was kind of the first big one. And then um, and then essentially the next one was was as a as a doctor, as a medical intern, Fremantle Hospital in Perth. Um, and so that, yes, that is my background, is that I uh, worked in medicine for about seven years, um, primarily in psychiatry. Uh, that was kind of, and, and so essentially that was my last job was as a psychiatric registrar, um, my last job before I kind of made the career change into, well, medical writing initially and then, and then kind of gradually more into creative copywriting and now it's kind of creative direction. So, yeah, that was that was the... 
you know, I was a doctor, <laughs> despite what people might have uh, thought. Um, and the Twitter handle happened because um, when I first joined Twitter, I was very naive <laughs> and kind of hubristically thought of myself as, as kind of the Don Draper of healthcare, um, which was absolutely unfounded at that stage. <laughs> and, and still is, but yeah. Um, and yeah, anyway, but I got stuck with it. So there you go. Cool. And um, it's it's a ridiculous question, and I don't like it when when people say, "Oh, what did what did you learn about that that you took into marketing?" And what you know, what did you what parallels were there, and all all of that. But but equally, we're all a product of of everything we've ever done and our experiences. So, is there anything that you that stands out as significant that you uh, took from the medical world into marketing? And it might have just been a sense of actually, I was saving lives, and now marketing seems to kind of get run away with itself a bit. <laughs> yes, there's certainly a bit of that. And and I suspect that's why uh, I have tended to take a bit of a, or a sceptical approach um, <clears throat> because I, I really felt have felt at times that marketers take themselves way too seriously. <laughs> um, but the, the other side of it, I think, is that, you know, I, I kind of grew up um, learning about uh, the importance of of research and um, and of evidence and not kind of, you know, not kind of going off half-cocked with, with conjecture and theories that, that weren't grounded in any kind of evidence. And and that certainly served me pretty well, I think, in marketing because there is so much of that stuff, as you know. You know, and there, there are so many charlatans around. And, and I, I think when you, when in medicine, you very quickly become attuned to, to, to that kind of thing. Um, so I think I've brought that with me, yeah. Yeah, it's a really nice point, actually. I hadn't thought about it like that because that was obviously one of the um, the premise for Eat Your Greens and certainly Weimer's background with, with the more scientific and ev- evidence-based marketing. So that's kind of a natural fit. It is, yeah. It is in many ways, I think. Um, <clears throat> you know, I guess the perhaps the flip side of that is that, you know, a lot of scientific people don't necessarily... Um, aren't necessarily very creative and don't necessarily um, respond well to to things that aren't quite so literal. Um, but I hopefully I think I've got a reasonable balance of those two. So um, so that's kind of you know hopefully the value that I bring to the industry. So then, how did your role evolve then at Wellmark? Because you've been at Wellmark for am I right about twelve plus years? Yep. So your yep. role and 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 what you do in personally must have evolved quite a lot. And and as an agency, can you tell us a bit more about Wellmark and what, what they do, what they specialise in? Yeah, sure. So we are a, a healthcare agency, um, a creative agency, you know, with a specialisation in healthcare. Uh, we really the the company was founded twenty twenty one years ago. Just turned 21, um, and at that stage was very much a, a technical medical communications agency. So most of all, my, well, all our clients, I think, at that stage were uh, pharmaceutical companies. Um, and then over the years, the the agency itself has gone through quite quite a bit of evolution. So uh, we diversified for a while into doing sort of corporate and B two B comms as well as healthcare. And that, but then we've um, decided to kind of focus our specialisation again in the past probably five years back onto just healthcare. Um, but the difference is that we don't just do pharmaceutical work anymore. So we, so we kind of have broadened our, our healthcare specialisation into 
um, other clients like, you know, hospitals, for example, aged care providers, that kind of thing, um, which has been good because it, it has allowed a lot more creative flexibility while kind of retaining that strategic focus on healthcare. Um, and I guess that's where I sort of came into it because, um, you know, my first job was as a medical writer there, a junior medical writer, and and obviously because I had that healthcare experience, that was kind of a really valuable um, way to get into the company and, and you know, I was very – some of the clients that I worked on, for example, I'd, li- I'd been prescribing the drug kind of a few months earlier. <laughs> um, oh, wow. so, so, yeah, so it really helped, you know, for me because it just made things easier. Um, to get my head around, um, and and obviously it kind of helps the agency as well because because I can I can talk to doctors and you know kind of understand um, you know what they're talking about and so on. Um, and then I kind of had yearned, I suppose, for a, for a more for, for a job that was more creative, and and fortunately I, I was able to kind of evolve my role over time to to suit that. Um, so I kind of went more into into you know short copy and. Um, creative campaigns and that sort of stuff and then that gradually kind of led to to being sort of getting in more into creative direction so I've been creative director for a couple of years now yeah amazing there you go well it's good it's good also to have that knowledge isn't it I, I we recorded a podcast with Phil Barden not long ago mm-hmm. I think he was talking about the the time he had on the road where as a very young budding marketer he he was literally going to the factories where the product was made that he was ultimately going to market and he met all of the everyone through the channel he met all the partners he met the sales team so I guess um, without having to get on the road so much you came into the industry with that medical knowledge and you said yourself you were writing the scripts for some of the things that you ultimately then um, were working on at Wellmark, coming with that knowledge is really powerful. And I think it's something that's easily overlooked, especially in the UK where agencies can, can or marketers can be accused of living in a bubble and not really understanding the real life cycle of their products. So that must have been hugely advantageous. Yeah, it was. Yeah, undoubtedly. And I think, the, you know, we, we do find it very noticeable when we, when we have writers who have got clinical background as opposed to even just a scientific background people who have got a clinical background that have been there at the coalface just kind of I guess have, have a bit more empathy with um with the people that, that we're talking to uh so it does make a big difference and, and as you say that that can be one of the problems in marketing now is that you're so far removed from from your audience um your customers uh and and you know I think that really shows in some of the some of the stuff that you see out there so did you find it when you when you stepped outside of healthcare even temporarily and did some more tackled some more different industry work did you notice mm-hmm. that or mm-hmm. did you find the actual process of working with those clients was the same and ultimately you were just as effective uh that's a really interesting question because the clients that we tended to to be involved with and take on would be fairly technical um, and so there tended to be that, you know, the common thread, I guess, was that we used to, we still say it to some extent, but we make the complex simple. So there so there was that kind of, you know, it wasn't, we weren't talking about, we weren't working with toothpaste brands or, you know, chocolate or whatever. Um, so I think the thread was that we could understand relatively com- complex concepts and, and, um, and, and be able to communicate communicate that clearly. <laughs> the irony of saying that, um, and <laughs> um, so yes, so partly that's true, 
But having said that, you know, there were times when I remember there was one client that was uh, an engineering client and I didn't have a clue about the about you know the product the service it took me ages to to even just kind of get my head around what they were talking about um so i can see why it would be very difficult for someone coming in from a non-healthcare background um and that's certainly what we've found cool and how much of um how much of your background and and also your working life now influenced the article in in the book mad Me- uh, medmen in delusions of brandia what if what if medicine was like the advertising industry yeah, influenced it quite a lot. Uh, I think the thing about that article was that it, I think I must have just been struck one day by how ridiculous some of the things um, in our industry are. You know, everything. You know, just, I don't know whether I'd just been just been reading about can or something. But <laughs> the whole idea of kind of you know doctors being awarded for for their operations or whatever just seemed totally ridiculous when I reflected on. You know my earlier um, experiences, and so uh, and so kind of one thing after another came to me as as kind of being an, an interesting parallel. Um, yeah, and that's how the article came about. Nice. And and how's how has the book been received internally at your your agency? Have you shared it much? <laughs> have clients seen it? Your colleagues? Uh, yes, yes. A couple of colleagues have seen it. And they haven't really commented, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, yeah, but I haven't been fired, so I suppose that's the first good sign. Um, and a couple of clients have also seen it as well. Uh, and, and, yeah, the client, it's funny, I, I think I was saying to Rob Schwartz on his podcast um, that I've had quite, and I don't know if you found this as well, but I've had quite a lot of positive comments from the client side. So it hasn't just been, you know, kind of industry people um, that have, that have reacted well to it. It's actually been people who who have recognised themselves in it to some extent, and and kind of recognised you know some of the silly stuff that goes on in the industry. So, uh, so I, I found that part really interesting. I was very happy that that it was taken in the right spirit. We I've had that in the literally in the last forty eight hours. Someone has invited us to participate in a kind of pitch process. They're based in Bratislava. And the guy who's contacted up, right. heads up their marketing team, has said he's actually got two copies, one for himself and his team, and the other one he leaves out on the desk in reception, hoping other people read it. <laughs> <laughs> Just to try and make sure everyone's aligned, is that correct? I guess so, yeah, I guess so. But I think that's the positive thing I was trying to trying to articulate earlier, is in as much as it's nice to, you almost, you almost become more like a, collection of people calling out the nonsense and if you can and if you can find a kind of level where that you're both on we can then kind of move on and and know that we're not going to have to talk about Gary V in the kickoff meeting or whatever <laughs> you kind of it's a kind of exactly nice yeah. Yeah, yeah it's right maybe it's not a bad idea you sort of give it to give it to people before the pitch money and just say you know just let me know whether we can work together or not yeah yeah uh, exactly. yeah in, in the same way, actually, which is something I'd like to come on before we uh, chuck a couple of listener questions at you. In the same way as Twitter. So so I know Twitter, uh, you're a huge fan of Twitter, as am I. I've met so many people in the industry. I mean, ultimately, you and I first met via Twitter. Mm-hmm. What role has, has that played in your career in terms of the network of copywriters and creatives um, at, at your disposal? Uh, it's a huge role. Hard to hard to overstate, to be honest. Um, just because uh, prior to going on Twitter, you know, I really hadn't had any exposure to anyone else, almost outside our industry. 
um, uh, out outside our agency, just because you know the, we, there aren't a lot of opportunities for for networking, for example, um, particularly in 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 such a specialised niche as healthcare. Mm. Uh, so I really didn't know many, many people at all, and and suddenly it kind of opened up this whole world of of creative people and uh, copywriters. Particularly, I sort of got you know I got in touch with a lot of those copywriters pretty early. People like Vicky Ross, um, and you know she knows everyone. So so that kind of led to explosion <laughs> contacts, um, and yeah, and obviously not just copywriters, but then a whole lot of um, uh, you know designers, art directors, strategists, um, heaps of people. So and then you know and then and then people like <clears throat> Byron Sharp and. Um, uh, Dave Trott, all these sorts of people who, you know, just it kind of really just opened my eyes to to the to the world that was out there, and so yeah, it's been fantastic. I'm going to hit you with a couple of listener questions, Ryan. Ooh, okay. Ooh. So, asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names, is notoriously fraught with danger. But that's not stopped us asking listeners for questions to put to our guests. The first question from Will. Will says, there's little doubt that marketing needs to be seen and treated as a science and a legitimate discipline for the industry to advance. But with all that and the obsession with data in some parts, is there a danger that embracing the scientific route could be at the sacrifice of creativity? Mm, that's, that's a million dollar question. Uh it's a really tricky one, and and I kind of it's funny I almost oscillate between the two uh, schools of thought because because that's exactly right it does have to be a balance and I think at times we veer too far one way or the other. I think there needs to be an underpinning of evidence for the, for a lot of the things that we do, but then there's always you know that magic element that that you can't you know the data will not provide for you, um, and and I think the other risk is that you run into what I think Rory Sullivan has referred to as the arithmocracy and that sort of, you know, becomes um, overriding. It overrides everything else and, and, and that can be a real problem because um, because it's just not um, realistic, I don't think. And, and we, you know, you end up getting completely obsessed with metrics and digital metrics particularly and all that sort of stuff that, that has become such a blight on the industry recently, yeah. So, yeah, my, the answer to that is uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> There you go, Will. You're right, though. I mean, it, it's got to be a blend, hasn't it? And there's so much in our industry where people think, is it this or is it this? And the answer is always it's a blend or it's a bit of this and a bit of that, depending on context. But data is certainly an area that, that can be very murky, but it can it can be just as misleading as it can be, um, can kind of provide gems for ideas and um, justification oh, absolutely. for what are doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, but as you know, the problem is when it gets misrepresented or isn't well understood or whatever, um, that you run into problems. Yeah, and and as you said, Rory's point about the arithmocracy data it, data can be quite quite appealing because it we're ultimately always trying to make sense of the world, and data kind of gives us a measure. Therefore, there are you know logical reasons why we take data seriously. But again, to quote the great man iceberg straight ahead is just one piece of data and so it's, it's understanding what data is important and what data isn't yep and i and i think the problem is that there are so many cowboys out there that uh that are quite willing to misrepresent data um that you know it's it's a minefield 
Cool. Um, question two from Harriet. Harriet has said, um, <laughs> we've talked about this before, I read that you are a world-class whistler, your own humble words. <laughs> Can we put that to the test? So would you, would you whistle a tune for Harriet? <laughs> okay. Okay. Hang on. Just got to loosen. Just got to loosen up the mouth. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> Stop making me laugh. Okay. Right. There you go, that'll do. Yeah, right. <laughs> guess the nice. tune. <laughs> haven't got a clue, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go, Harry. Go and listen to Patience by Guns N' Roses. It's, it's, uh, I mean, oh, yeah. you don't need to. You just heard it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I In my head, because um, I know we're both recording this with our families, um, we're, we're, we're both kind of, well, you probably mildly in lockdown. I think the UK is slightly, slightly different, but I'm not too sure. But I like the idea that they think you're in a room on a podcast and they can just hear you whistling. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, be like, yeah, what the fuck? I thought he was... Thought, wasn't this supposed to be serious? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. First time, I, first time I've ever on a podcast, I'll have you know. Nice, nice. It's an exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> World exclusive. So, so the, the final part of the interview, Ryan, is our, our four pertinent poses that we put to all of our guests. So number one is, what advice would you give to your younger self? That's a hard one. Um, don't wait so long to get out of medicine. <laughs> <laughs> or do I need to go younger than that? No, no, that makes sense. I think follow. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get a bit more philosophical about it. Kind of follow your heart rather than than rationality. Yeah. How how long had you been thinking about getting out before you did then? About two years, maybe. Well, no, it's probably longer than that. I think, but I'd kind of tried to d- deny it to myself to some extent. Yeah, I'd had doubts longer than that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. I mean, I know, I know people who who are in jobs, have been in jobs for 10, 15 years and still talk about wanting to leave but haven't. So, I mean, two yeah. years doesn't sound, doesn't sound too long. Well, yeah, man, and I think that's what kind of did it for me was that I, I, I sort of projected ahead and thought, you know, I, I don't want to be doing this forever, um, you know, if I'm going to be as dissatisfied as this. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, number two, Ryan, if you could banish one thing from the industry, what would it be and why? An obsession with trending new tech. I think that's probably the thing that annoys me the most. And I don't mean I don't mean that the new tech itself is necessarily a bad thing, but but you know the fixation and the constant cycling of, of what it is that's trendy uh, annoys me. Yeah, do you get that as much in 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 healthcare? No, no. I think it's fair to say that we definitely don't. Um, a lot of a lot of healthcare practitioners, particularly have it's actually it is changing a bit but they have tended to be laggards with with um technology and you still a lot of them still use fax machines you would you believe um so you know we still we still send out fax order forms and stuff like that so so yeah no it's it's definitely not as um susceptible to it Mm. yeah that's good um any number three any books you would recommend delusions of brandy i hear is really good um Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got a few. Uh, Alchemy by Rory, who, who we mentioned before. Uh, always, I, I pretty much always recommend um, 
the Choice Factory by Richard Shotton. Um, just a really, really easy read and um, really useful, practical book as well. Mm. Um, yeah, that'll do for now. Do you read much outside of um, industry books? Yeah, yeah. I well, I used to. I don't write. I don't read as much fiction as I used to. Um, but yes, I try not to not to just read industry stuff because it gets a bit boring. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm exactly the same. But I ultimately never do read anything else. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard. Well, there's, there's also so many good books inside the industry, like Alchemy, as you said, and Choice Factory are just two absolute pearls. They're brilliant, brilliant books. So, and I think that, that's probably what's. I, I don't know if that's changed particularly in recent years, but there just seems to be a bit more diversity in in the kinds of books that you can get. You know, they're they're far from textbooks these these kinds of books, and they're just entertaining reads as well. So, you know, it's best of both worlds, really. Yeah, for sure. At number four, then, we we always dedicate every episode to someone and we bestow or hospital pass that honour, depending on your view, to our guest who has to give the reason why. So would you dedicate this episode, please? Sure. Um, I'm going to dedicate it to Jem Higgins, uh, who, as oh, you know, you know Jem, um, she's uh, an amazing writer, for one thing. Um, she contributed one of your talks, which I watched the other day, to Isolated Talks, um, which was just incredible, you know, and the response that it got was testament to that. It was spine-tingling, wasn't it? Yeah, just really amazing. Um, and and her, also her accent is just awesome. <laughs> I love it. Um, and Jem, you know, but I think the, you know, the thing that most people would know about Gemma is that she's just an incredibly vocal supporter of other people in the industry um she kind of just lifts everyone up whenever she can and and you know i think it's just um everyone really appreciates what she does for them um so she's great i'm actually talking to her tomorrow she's gonna have drinks and i'm gonna have breakfast (laughs) fantastic well this episode is very proudly dedicated to Jem. Um, as a final call to action, then everyone listening can head over to calltoaction.co where we'll share links to everything, including Delusions of Brandger, Choice Factory, uh, Alchemy. I'll stick Gem's talk in there as well for anyone who's, who's yet to enjoy that. How else can people get more Ryan Woolman? Well, Twitter's where I'm most active, really. Um, so, yeah, as I said, Dr. Underscore Draper. I'm on LinkedIn, although it's, I don't know. I've lost my enthusiasm for it in the last little while. Or you can oh, check out our um, agency website, so wellmark.com.au. Uh, I write uh, for our blog there, although, again, <laughs> been somewhat remiss um, with that recently. Um, but, yeah, they're the main ones. Amazing. Perfect. Well, we'll stick all of that up there. So um, thank you so much for joining us, mate. It's been, a, it's, been, um, it's been a huge pleasure to chat. Oh, thank you. I agree. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on. Finally, thank you to everyone listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share it and review the podcast. We really value your support. Keep questions and guest requests coming in. To get in touch, it's easy to find Gasp online. You can check out CTA Pod on Instagram or just email hello at calltoaction.co. Try and I try and I try.
Yeah! <laughs>